Okay, uh, good morning. Uh, my throat's been really much better, but that it's going in and out. So let's hope I can do better this morning uh, than uh, between services. It was getting all goofy. So actually, John Carl, why don't you get me a, a glass of water if you would, please? Thank you. It's so nice to see one's son in church on time and then to tell him to do something where he can't really say no. I love that too. That's maybe even more delightful. Um, so uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, I want to talk about the spiritual life a bit in prayer. Uh, I flew Friday. A good friend of mine died this week named Charles Mousseau. Charles came here and ministered here several times. Uh, some of you would have re you remember him. Uh, really a neat guy, very prophetic. And uh, he had... Uh, he was severely abused as a child, uh, ended up being a low-level mafia uh, guy in Canada where he would uh, beat people up for their gambling debts, that type of thing. Um, and uh, he was doing cocaine in Victoria. Some of you have been out to uh, British Columbia and Vancouver Island. He was doing cocaine. And is it, uh, Larry, you'll know how to say it. Is it Morris Carrillo? Cirillo, okay, Morris, Morris Cirillo was on the TV, so he's like two in the morning or something, and uh, Morris Cirillo is on the TV, and he says, I see you there doing cocaine in your hotel room, and Charles said, you know, I mean, people say these things, but Charles said, when he said that, it was like God had reached through the TV and grabbed hold of him, I mean, it was powerful, uh, matter of fact, I would almost discount that, I would, you know, I, I, meeting Charles, you realize, wow, uh, some of these things that might seem fake or something, if you're that person, it was not, I mean, it was, it was so much unsettling that Charles, uh, stoned on cocaine, goes out, uh, you know, middle of the night in Victoria, and uh, there was two young men in this uh, not good part of town who were sharing the gospel with people at that time, in the middle of the night, and uh, led them to Christ, and I mean, the guy's life changed profoundly. When I met him, I was up in Toronto uh, during some meetings, and, um, you know, Pentecostals can always tell when you're a newbie. You know, they, they, uh, they kind of come around you like piranhas at times, and uh, uh, so <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, so I'm up there, and they wanted this guy to pray. I think Ken was probably there. Uh, he's always in these crazy things. Uh, so uh, he prayed for me, and it was powerful. I mean, he said so many things uh, that only God could know, say, whatever. It was, it was life-altering in that sense. And uh, so we became friends. We traveled together a bit in Colombia. This was probably uh, 10 to 7 years, 5 years ago. And, and then on a trip to Colombia, he was very ill. And I didn't realize it, but he, was, he had uh, some heart failure issues and real bad diabetes, and he never let on. And he almost, we almost lost him in Colombia, you know, uh, seven years ago, whatever that was. And, uh, but he, luckily we got him home and he, you know, he made it. But anyway, he, uh, he passed this week. And so I flew up on Allegiant Air Friday to Canada. That was two days ago. Now, Allegiant Air is famous for what? One fact, fun fact. Well, cheap, but no, that they're, they're, they're known for this. They have more in-flight mechanical problems than any other airline. Yeah, so your faith, I mean, you know, this is, it helps for the prayer life when you think about that. Um, so I went up Friday, drove up from Bangor, Maine to uh, St. Stephen, New Brunswick, 
and a couple hours on a very lonely highway there. Um, I saw a few deer though, but anyway, uh, and then had the funeral yesterday and then got in the car, drove back, got on the flight about seven something and uh, got home. And there was a big wreck on the, uh, the uh, to- tollway, 528, whatever, whatever that tollway, the, anyway, luckily I had put, uh, you know, I had my GPS, I, I kind of know the way, but I had put my GPS in and uh, Google warned me, Google Maps warned me. So it took me some crazy way home. I have no idea, but it worked out, and here I am, and uh, I'm glad to be here. So I want to talk about um, what it means to abide in Jesus, what it means to keep his word in us, and then the, one of the great benefits of having an intimate relationship with Jesus is that Jesus promises us that we will ask God for the things that we will the things that we desire, and God's going to answer. So I will, I'll start with this story. So last night, I'm on the plane, and you've got to pay extra for everything. You've know, you got to pay extra for your carry-on. You've got to pay extra if you want a seat. But I'm willing to pay extra for a, uh, well, they'll assign you a seat, you know, which means you're going to get a middle or something. Of course, I don't want a middle seat. Uh, so in any case, I get on the aisle in an exit row, uh, paid, you know, I don't know how much money for that. But anyway, and... Uh, wouldn't you know it, the world's most muscular man is sitting in the middle next to me. Um, and he had a tiny little wife. And I'm thinking, too bad she wants the window. Uh, you know. I'm thinking, you really don't have to be nervous about me. Put her in the Anyway, that, uh, that didn't work. And then we had three lovely children going to Disney for the first time. And they're kicking the back of the seats, right? So wouldn't you know it, there's a guy on the exit row on the aisle, but the two seats aren't there. So I asked the flight attendant, because I'm the kind of guy, if I move, I'll have a flight attendant tell me not to. I have that kind of luck with things. So uh, I asked, can I move and go to the window? And she says, yes, that would be fine. And uh, so, but the guy then ends up talking with me the whole flight. It was was one of the most delightful three-hour flights, if there is such a thing. Um, and uh, in the course of that, about halfway through, uh, since about 2004, he's had some very serious attack of rheumatoid arthritis uh, in his body. And so you can imagine, uh, that's kind of a softball to say, uh, you may think I'm crazy, but, right, uh, and uh, could I pray for you? And he said, yeah, I believe in prayer and healing. And, and uh, so we prayed, and uh, the Lord touched him pretty profoundly. Um, it's so awesome uh, to, uh, to ask the Lord, and you know, I don't know all the times why it doesn't happen, uh, and I guess I've, I've told you this many times, I, I'm not surprised that we, all, we don't always know God's will and God's timing, and I, I, I I'm not surprised about that. What's amazing is in the most ridiculous situation, like at a Legion air flight, you know, coming back from Bangor, after, that, that you could have this conversation that the Holy Spirit would guide, uh, and you have a, a chance to, uh, to pray and to see the Holy Spirit do uh, some really beautiful and wonderful things. Um, so I want to talk about this because the, if you remember, last week we were talking about abide, and this week we were supposed to talk about uh, ask whatever you will. So let's... Uh, look at the text. I'm kind of going to give a running start again uh, from uh, chapter 15. 
Uh, we could just start at verse 5 because it repeats itself, but that would be no fun. So uh, let's, <clears throat> excuse me, let's look up there. And uh, do you remember? No, of course you wouldn't remember. But last week, what we said abiding is, Andrew Murray says, when we pray, we talk to God. When we read the scriptures, God speaks to us. God talks to us. So abiding, and this thing that, uh, and Jesus is going to clarify this down in verse 7, but to abide with Jesus is to recognize, of course, uh, his salvation. You can't, you can't abide with Jesus if you're not born again. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Lord, it's impossible to abide. But for those who are believers, it is possible not to abide. And this is the key, meaning every believer, meaning only God can save us by his grace down the cross. He, only God can prune us. But it's our responsibility to make the choices whether or not we abide with Jesus on a daily basis or not. All right? And that's a choice that we make. And to abide with him is to spend time with him daily in his word, okay? And to hear the scripture, approach the scriptures as God wor God's word, and therefore to know it has authority over us. So if the Bible says this, and I like this, who's changing? Right? Me, because the Bible's not going to change. So, so we, we recognize, and I say that because in today's society, so many people, even people who seem to know Jesus as baby Christians, don't understand that the Bible is the authority for us. And we are to, with repentance and faith and prayer, conform to it, and it's not going to change and be subjective towards us. All right, And so we approach the scriptures with the authority. We recognize that in the scripture, God is speaking to us. So you might be reading Exodus, or you might be reading Genesis, or you, but we're listening to what God would speak to us. First Peter said that the scriptures of old, the Old Testament scriptures, it's okay, it's Diane again. We're gonna, it's okay, we're going to blame Diane because she has this problem, but... Uh, you got off easy today because I can see Diane right there. <laughs> I'm going to give her the stink eye. Mm. <coughs> Diane famously at a healing service at her home church in Orlando answered the phone in the middle of my sermon and proceeded to give some recipes, share, you know, uh, no, that's not how you do it. How's the cat? I mean, it was a whole thing. So... For the rest of her life, she's being hazed. I don't know. You must, yeah, you, I've been, all that suffering is just making you more and more holy. So there you go. All right. So we approach the scriptures as authoritative. We approach the scriptures with the understanding that, that the Old Testament scriptures and the Bible is written for our learning, that we can learn from these things, the patterns and ways in which God dealt with people in the past have principal application for us. Uh, in our lives. So we approach it, the scripture's got authority, we expect Jesus to speak, and then we recognize that when we are doing this and we're having our devotions and we're reading and praying, that we're expecting a fellowship with God, that there is a relationship aspect where it's not just like reading philosophy, it's not the same as reading a theology book. So I was mentioning last week, there's an old saying uh, that you say to all kind of places in the world, I first heard it in an African-American church and it was really helpful because I think I first got it there. 
but they used to say this, you got to pray until you pray. That in these moments you pray and then all of a sudden there's this breakthrough where you, where you, you recognize that somehow there's been this touching between heaven and earth and that, and that it's not just, again, not just the parts of, of reading and praying, but somehow heaven's opened up and you're able to be connected and that sense of his presence is one of the most wonderful things uh, of which we seek. And people who stay in that kind of relationship with Jesus, I mean, we still got to repent for our sins and forgive people. It's not that it's, uh, you know, that it's so super perfect or something, but, but we, on a daily basis, we're, we're, we're committing ourselves in this way. One of the great benefits is the Bible says that when we pray, we're going to have answers for our prayer. We're going to be fruitful. So the context here in John 15 is all about fruitfulness in God's kingdom. All right? Not that you care, but if you wanted to know. John 14 tells us all about God's part. So it's all about me and what God will do. He keeps talking about me and all that in John 14. In John 15, the switch is about our responsibility and response to the grace and the love and the cross, all those things. So here's what he's telling us is our part. So he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman uh, or the vine dresser. Uh, and so the, we had the picture of the, of the father going and pruning everything. Now, I've never been much of a gardener. We seem to kill any plant uh, that we, you know, get at our house. I, we either overwater, underwater, or something. Some people just like whatever they touch flourishes, but, but we don't seem to be able to do that. But, but uh, in reading, you know, apparently you have to cut off certain things so that the, the grapes will form right. If the energy is going into too many different branches, uh, you don't get the good wine, you don't get the good grapes. Or anything. So there's all this work involved, and it's, uh, it's an intelligent work uh, to know what is what and what has to go and what should remain. So the, you get this picture of Jesus, the life source. He's the vine. The Father is the pruning, the vine dresser, and we're the branches. And branches don't produce fruit, but branches, uh, they, 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 they flow from the vine through. They bear the fruit up, so to speak, that is through the branches, but the life and sustenance is coming from the vine. All right? So my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, it's so interesting if you study this text. So many people think that this is referring to non-believers sort of thing, like the mixed company of the church. But really, it appears that he's really talking about believers who have drifted away from him in such a profound way that they're no longer bearing fruit. They, they bore fruit for a season at some point, but now they've moved away for so long that he cuts them out uh, and, and, uh, because they're not interested in producing fruit according to God's kingdom purposes. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Now, this is really important. Someone's got real low self-esteem. And every time God's pruning, we think he's mad at us, he's punishing us. Can you imagine if he says, you did really well, and that's why I'm going to cut this and prune it, because it'll turn this into world-class grapes. Okay? A whole lot in you. He's pruning, not because you're doing it wrong, but through the loving care of the vine dresser, as he prunes areas of our lives, especially the ones that you do really well. He's pruning them so that they will produce even more and more fruit for the kingdom of God. So uh, every branch that bears fruit, he, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. So he's speaking to them as believers, right? Abide in me. Keep this intimate connection. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Meaning your life isn't going to be fruitful. You're not going to be able to find purpose. You're not going to be able to discover the things and find the real joy. There's not enough money. There's not enough vacation. There's not enough sex. There's not enough anything. There's not enough. Unless we're connected with the Lord and finding our deepest peace and satisfaction in intimate daily communion with him. And he says, you know, you can't do anything that's worth doing. Listen, there's a whole lot of things being done in churches all over that according to Jesus, it's nothing. There's a whole lot of people who are keeping busy. And this is what I worry about me. I'm studying this because I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I want to see a lot more fruit than I'm seeing. So when I say, oh, I don't see the kind of fruit and the quality of fruit in my life, then, then of course I have to ask the question. Because Jesus, if I abide in him and his word abides in me, this will happen. So if I'm not seeing this happen the way I want to, then I've got to go back, reverse engineer the verse and say, okay, that means I'm not abiding right. I'm not keeping a heart communion and focus on Jesus properly, or I'm not obeying his word. Because if those two things are in check, you can't stop from bearing fruit. I heard it by an African-American mentor of mine years ago at Wheaton College. Fantastic guy. He used to say to me, Ron, apple trees don't grunt. You know, <clears throat> no, he, he, he said, if an apple tree is rooted properly in water, it will produce apples. All right? Sometimes we're looking as fruit inspectors out here. And, and the question, so some people are just going to be like, oh, my prayers aren't answered. I'm going to pray twice as much. That's not necessarily going to help. It's not the amount of prayer or the earnestness of prayer if there's not deeply rooted connection daily with Jesus. It's not going to work. I, I, you, you know, you got to imagine all different people are keeping busy, all the Christian efforts, but we're not seeing fruit that remains. At the funeral, a guy stood up and said, I don't know Charles that well. He said, but in 1990, he said, I'm a pastor at this church, but in 1992, he said, I was a hopeless alcoholic in my early 30s. He said, Charles came to Indiana. And he said, Charles prayed for me. And he said, while he prayed for me, he said, he looked away. And he said, Charles said, the Lord said he's taking the alcoholism away now. Now, that's a nice word. He said, he never had a problem. I mean, I'm not against the 12 steps, whatever, whatever helps. But I'm going to tell you something, in this particular case, and it doesn't always work this way, in this case, the Lord took it just like that. And he said, I never really knew Charles that well. But he said, I am here, and I'm at the funeral because I want you to know that happened all those years ago. That's what you call fruit that remains. That's what we're looking for, that people's lives are changing not just that we keep busy or having a good time. There's all kind of nice things that happen in the church. But what we're looking for is that people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they're becoming more and more like Jesus, and that our influence in this dark and mixed-up world is increasing because we're yielded to the person and work of Jesus Christ in a daily fashion. We're abiding in him. And then the things that we're asking because we're abiding, we are becoming more and more fruitful. This is what the spiritual life is supposed to look like. This is the foundation. Now, I don't know what happened, but somehow, so many of us, either we weren't taught to have devotions or how to pray. Listen, if you want to know how to pray, 
Okay, the best thing I recommend you do is to let someone know who knows how to pray. The best way to learn how to pray is to pray with people who know how to pray. I cannot tell you how much I learned through the years by being with people who knew Jesus better than I did and that by being with them, I heard how they pray and it kind of jumps on you. I can't, Jack prayed, we, I prayed with Jack for, for, uh, for demon stuff. You know, we did, were doing exorcism. And to be there with Jack and to see the way he prayed, I learned so much sitting there. Just being next to him. When you find people who just, they don't have to be 10 steps, two or three steps ahead. Find them, ask them, pray with it. You don't know how to do a devotion? Hey, let's get together and say, this is how you approach the script. This is how you actually break it down. This is what it should look like. But it's your responsibility to be abiding in Jesus, recognizing that nothing that really matters is going to end up remaining, fruit that remains, unless you're intimately and daily connected to Jesus in a very personal way that no one else can do for you. There's things that we can do together like communion and corporate worship and, and intercession. There's things we can do together on a Sunday morning. And those are powerful things. They're essential things to the Christian life. But they're not the only essential things. And part of the reason more is not happening on Sunday morning is because we need to be more intimately connected with Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And when you go back through the church, the people that made the differences were the people who learned these kinds of things. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to understand everything. You do have to walk with Jesus in a daily fashion, recognizing nothing good is going to happen ultimately, that's going to really last, except for those things that are a byproduct of a life that is intimately connected with Jesus Christ, all right? Susie's prayed for me, I don't know, 20-something years. Lord, only send us fruit that will remain. Only, you know, and that's a powerful prayer. She's been praying for a long time. Of course, I think now I say, yeah, I should have been praying, though. Lord, help me to be more deeply connected with you. And then you wouldn't have to worry about that prayer if I was praying the other prayer. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Five, I am the vine, you're the branches. He's cycling back. Now he's expanding on what he said in the first four verses. He who abides in me interacts with me daily understanding the authority, listens to me speaking through the scriptures, seeks fellowship with me in that time. That day, that's abiding, obeying what I show them, right? He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That kind of, that's what tells us if it's working, right? Are we abiding right? What's the fruit? For without me, you can do nothing. Six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Now here's the crux for today. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Okay, that's this authority, Jesus speaking, the fellowship, obedience to what God says. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, that's a pretty big statement. And so some people in the history of the church and in this recent time take a verse like this, excuse me about my voice, 
and they say things like, okay, God tells me this promise, so I'm going to ask for a Mercedes, and God's got to give it to me. Or God gives us promise, so I'm going to pray, and God's got to let me win the lottery. Or, as a young man, I used to pray, Lord, send revival to Gainesville. Because my uh, wickedness of my heart was not clear to me at the time, I look back because he spoke to me years later after praying for revival, and he said, would you be happy if revival came, but it came and started down the street? And I said, of course, of course not. If you're going to send revival in Gainesville, God, so he showed me that a lot of my prayers for revival were really prayers about self-glorifying myself and the things that I was doing. They weren't really about revival in Gainesville. They were about it happening with me, through me, etc. And so we learn along the way uh, that, see, abiding requires this intimate connection with Jesus. And the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the law, the scripture, the law of the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. What this means is, in this abiding process, we experience transformation. And so we begin to long for the things that God longs for. And as we begin to long and desire those things, and we begin to ask him, then God begins to move. It's not unlike Deuteronomy 9.3, where God says, I will go before you into the promised land. He says, like a consuming fire, and I will do everything that's got to be done. And then he says, so that you can do it. Meaning God reveals his heart and will to us as we stay intimately connected with him so that we can pray it back to him. And when we pray back what he has said and what he's revealed to us, then he answered those prayers in the most powerful and wonderful ways. And we then see great fruitfulness. There is precious little more exciting in this life than to know God and to ask him and to know that he hears our prayers and that he will answer them. Now, what are the boundaries? Well, the boundaries are uh, 1 John 5.14. And you don't have it right in front of you, but your phone or your Bible there, if you turn with me, there's a couple limits that I've alluded to. It's not that if you abide with me, then you can just go off and do anything you want. 1 John 5.14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Meaning that abiding is allowing us to get in contact with his will. Our will becomes his will. We pray it, and it happens. I had a very strong suspicion when that guy was chatting so much. He was, I mean, delightful. I mean, just a great conversation. It started from deer hunting. I mean, we we went everywhere. The people around us were probably bored stiff, but we were having a great time. But I had this suspicion, Jesus, you want to heal this guy. And I just couldn't wait to figure out how to then ask, you know, it's awkward, in a, you know, in a, but, but there it happened right there. This is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What are some other reasons? There are many, but what's other reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers? Well, partly as we find out later that there was a lot more going on. But, but here's the other one, James chapter 4, verse 3. First he says in, chap- in 4, 2, he says, you have not because you ask not. 
Meaning there are things that God would give you if you asked, you're abiding in him, and you're asking, I mean, you're not asking, but if you would ask, he would do it. But you're not asking. So that's the first. But then verse 3, then he says, and you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss, that you might spend it on your pleasures. Meaning that you're asking things, you're not asking things that God would do, and then there's other things that you're asking, but it's so selfish and so much about our glory and our kingdom instead of God's, that God's not going to answer that prayer and do it. You, you know, can you imagine all the things that I prayed? If God had given them to me, how messed up I would be? First of all, I would have been the only person that won the lottery like 10,000 times. I mean, that would be something, right? I mean, so, I mean, imagine, imagine God in his goodness and his grace does not answer a whole bunch of things. He says, one of the reasons, there's boundaries. One of them is because you're asking to spend it with bad motives. And often we don't know our own motives. I mean, you would say, how could praying for revival be a bad prayer? I mean, I prayed scriptures. I prayed hours over years before the Lord showed me that part of it was there was a lot more in my prayer than I was able to realize when I started praying it. Now, look, there's a lot of things like that. We pray as best we know how, but we recognize God changes us along the way. He showed me something. So the answer isn't not to pray for revival. It is having prayed and having the Lord show me to ask him then purify my motives and, and help me, Lord, as we continue to pray for what you want to do in this country or whatever, is to keep praying, but knowing that we change along the way. That's part of the reason why there is a delay, okay, between when we start praying, when there's answer, because God is changing us that we might receive what we're asking, but in a proper way, so that it won't just go through our fingers, but it'll be something that we can truly receive uh, with good character and to operate according to his kingdom and his principles. What happened to the Bible? He put the, put the Bible back up there. Thank you. If you abide in me, there's a condition if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified, meaning it delights the father to have people who are walking intimately with Jesus, who are hearing and having their hearts transformed and are then asking heaven the desires that heaven has revealed in our hearts. God loves it when his people pray and to answer those prayers. One of the scriptures, I think it's an Advent, you know, he is more willing to answer than we are to pray. Right? He, he wants to answer. He's just looking for some people who would be intimately connected with him and who would make it their business to orient their lives on the personal work of Jesus, obeying his words, repenting when they get it wrong, forgiving the people that heard him, so that they could hear what God wants to do and then pray it into existence. You know, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use even our very prayers to accomplish his purposes. I can't imagine why he would choose to use us as imperfect and messed up as we are. Wesley said this, John Wesley, I'm not sure if it's true, but Wesley said this, he said, God doesn't do anything. He limits himself 
only to those things which his people ask him in prayer. I don't know that that's actually, I mean, that seems, I mean, it was John Wesley, so I listen, because I think so highly of him. But can you imagine how much God wants to do, okay, if we would let him, if we would give him the attention and stay intimately connected, and then to begin to say, Lord, reveal your heart to mine, and I'm going to start praying it in. I think there'd be a lot more people that would be saved. I think we'd see our families grow and change. I think, I think we would see more healing. I think we'd see more freedom. Um, in this season of my life, I feel like the Lord's saying, you've got you to gotta get back and get really, really deep on these real basic things. There's a way to kind of almost know too much to where you, you miss the key things. This is one of the key things of all spirituality. We cannot make it in this world in a way that God's going to be pleased with if we're not daily, intimately connected with him. Abiding with communion with him, okay? His words, knowing the scripture and obeying them, all right? And then having the joy and the freedom of knowing that we can ask heaven and that heaven will hear and do the things we ask because we realize, ah, by his purposes, he's the one that put in me. Meaning I sensed it wasn't just you know, you don't really want to pray for someone on a plane, I'll be honest with you. I mean, maybe you think I'm that weird, but I'm, I insist that I'm not that weird. Um, but there was this, when he said it like, oh Lord, even having me move seats with the muscle-bound guy over here, there was more to it than I realized. And, that, and then the guy said, I believe in healing. And ends up, he had been healed of a number of things in the past, but was not healed of this. And... Uh, you just, you could, you could feel that Holy Spirit opening up that moment. And uh, it was so beautiful. I did have some people in front and behind kind of giving me weird looks. But I'm used to that. All right? If you're going to be fruitful, you're going to get a little bit of that. Uh, because we don't always get it right. I certainly don't always hear perfectly. Don't let the fact that we're learning and growing in this thing intimidate you from beginning and trying and improving. We have an incredibly loving and gracious God, and he is inviting us into a spiritual life of being people who know him deeply, who ask him for things, trained by his presence. Uh, you know, when we spend time in worship, in prayer, in singing, part of what happens is the frequency of our heart turns and in, tunes into God. That's what happens in prayer and the scripture, we get tuned into God so that we can hear God and God is able to hear and do back the things that we ask. This is what God has for you. Uh, this is the life that you deserve. Jesus has purchased it for you. We do have a little responsibility. Uh, you know, we got to abide. We have some things. But can you imagine that we're able to join him in his work and be fruitful? What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. Would you stand as we pray? Now, Lord Jesus, as we come this morning, Lord, I just know that one of the desires that you plan on my heart is to see together our church family 
grow in abiding obedience to your word, Lord, and then fruitfulness. Lord, you've called us. There's a lot of people with gifts of prayer, and, but whether that's our main gift or not, or Lord, I know that you're asking us together, together to move forward in the daily reading of Scripture, in the obedience, Lord, of seeking to hear your voice daily. Lord, letting your words abide in us. And then, Lord, to be people who pray and, Lord, see our families, our neighbors, our friends come to know you, live for you, be set free of all kind of addictions and issues, Lord. You have the power. Uh, And, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us together. Lord, we just know that you planted us together as a family that as a family, we might lay hold of these beautiful promises. We have individual parts to it in our daily responsibilities, but, but Lord, I pray then that as we learn and grow in this way individually, that something would begin to happen in our services where the Spirit of God would be free to take over in a whole different way because we've lived intimately with you the rest of the week so that when Sunday comes, your presence and your glory and your Spirit would overflow here in unprecedented ways. Lord, you've done it many times before with other places that took you seriously and listened to your word and together people came together, committed themselves together and Lord, you moved. And Lord, we want nothing less. Lord, that's my desire. My desire is to be fruitful with my family here. Lord, there's no way individually we could be as fruitful as we can be if we do it together. And there's such joy to do it with my brothers and sisters. So I pray, Lord, help us. Uh, Call us, Lord. Beckon us, Lord, by your Spirit. Lord, bring about a a discontent that that nothing but you and being abiding in you, Lord, could give us the satisfaction and the joy, Lord, so that we could zero in in this season, that we'd be deeply rooted in people of answered prayer. Because we prayed your heart because you reveal it to us in the quiet places you revealed it. And then when we ask you for it, you do it, Lord. That's what we want, Lord. That's what you promise. So we ask you to hear us uh, and to pour out your spirit here. And we ask it in the most beautiful, the most precious name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven.